I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney, for NPR Illinois Community Voices, and for the Front Row Network. My name's Craig. I'm your host today. Join with me, my co-host, Mr. Brett Rutherford. Hello there. And Miss Vanessa Ferguson. Hello. We today get an opportunity to, you know, it's always fun to bring Walt back to the Midwest because, uh, you know, the West Coast may claim his studio, Walt Disney World's on the East Coast, but right here, right in the heart of America. That is where Walt was born and raised uh, in the Chicago areas where he's born. And then, of course, moving to Marceline at a young age. But you know what? They have Walt's birthplace home that is currently being restored and will shortly be open to the public. And today we get to talk to a couple of members of the team. We talked to Brent Young and to Robert Coker uh, coming up here in just a moment. And they're going to talk to us all about the process of purchasing Walt's birthplace home and then also seeing the renovations and what they've been doing to the home since they purchased it back in 2013. So Brett, you're kind of the one that uh, has been the person who, first of all, is a supporter of this, but also has been kind of our connection to this group. Can you tell me a a bit about your excitement for this interview we have coming up? Well, I'm, I'm very excited because we get to talk to people that I've, you know, been reading about and I, I was an early uh, supporter Small funds, but I'm going every little bit helps. And it was actually um, their newsletter, um, which prompted me to, you know, share that the information with you two that they were looking to do podcasts. I'm like going, well, we do a podcast. Why don't we invite them? So we get the opportunity to speak with them. And I bet they have just lots of information that we're just going to love hearing about. And what a process and what a project. And it's just, I, I can't wait to hear all about it. Now, Vanessa, when we started talking about this opportunity, you mentioned your love for all things HGTV. So talk to me. Are you excited for this interview? I'm very excited. I want to know if, did they put in all marble? Did they take out, did they put in hardwood floors? Are they going with an open floor plan? I mean, they're probably not doing any of those things because it's about preservation and not just making a home beautiful. But, but it is really cool to see historic homes, especially given that have sometimes been forgotten, given a new life. So I'm so excited to hear what they have to say about the home and and the experience they've had really um, kind of putting on the white gloves and preserving this wonderful part of Disney family history. Absolutely. I can't wait for it. So let's get right into it. Here is our interview with Brent and Robert from the Walt Disney Birthplace. are so uh, excited to welcome to Beyond the Mouse Brent Young and Robert Coker from the Walt Disney Birthplace and uh, excited to have both of you gentlemen here joining us. Would you mind explaining your role in bringing this wonderful building back to restoration? And I'll start with Brent. Uh, My wife and I and and business partner um, uh, purchased the home uh, in in 2013. Uh, outside of Chicago, we own a, a studio here in Los Angeles that designs and, um, and, and produces theme park attractions. So our, our roots, um, as far as the industry that we came up in, in entertainment, were in animation and theme park design. So we, we do theme park design, but you know where we met each other uh, over 25 years ago, 
uh, was at an animation studio called Rhythm and Hues, which did the movie Bathe. And that was the first film that I worked on. And we met each other working in the theme park division doing animation. So, you know, 25 years of animation and this kind of theme park design, uh, Walt Disney starts to seep in all over the place, especially being here. Um, our home is located in Silver Lake, uh, which is just the, the one neighborhood next to Los Feliz. And, you know, Robert can tell you where it like. Every, all the greatest hits of Walt's uh, days here in Los Feliz um, are, are, are just these little beautiful little homes and the, the shop that the Disney brothers started in and the carousel. It's, it's just, it's great. So, you know, our role is the kind of the, we, we found this little gem. It was all covered with aluminum siding and, and, we, and we uncovered it. And we found a, a beautiful little home underneath uh, that needed to be restored and preserved really for, um, for generations, just to know that Walt Disney is, was a real person, that, that there was a real person who lived in a real neighborhood and from very humble uh, beginnings. And that's so great. You know, uh, we, we often talk about Walt the legend, but it is, it's so important that uh, for future generations, as we get further and further away from his passing, that we do realize that this was a man who had a vision and had creativity and had a dream. Robert, can you tell me uh, how you're involved in this project? Being a fellow lover of theme parks, my, my entry into different from brands, but you know, I went to Disneyland when I was four and a half years old and it was like, Whatever this is, I want to be a part of it. This is amazing, building these incredible worlds. So um, career path took me in different directions, worked in advertising, worked in packaging, worked in design, but I always had an interest in themed entertainment. And I had published a website in the 90s called Thrill Ride. And that got gained a little notoriety. And long story short, through that, I met this fellow named Doug Barnes, who was the host of a podcast called The Season Pass, which is all about themed entertainment. And at that time, Brent had already come on board as a co-host with Doug. So we did our first podcast together, just talking about Thrill Ride and the history of all that. And the three of us, we clicked like that. I mean, just instant friends, instant colleagues and all that good stuff. And over time, as Brent and I became more friendly, he's, he called me up one day. He's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, sure, love to work for you someday. <laughs> so it took a couple of years. But summer of 2013, he called me up and he basically said, I think you should quit your job. We're ready to go. And we had a dinner when Doug was down here. And I remember this moment so clearly. The four of us sitting in Brent and Dina's backyard over a little nice barbecue dinner. And Doug had already heard this. And he's like, Brent's like, I got some news for you. We bought the house that Walt Disney was birthed in. And I was like freaked out. I'm like, what? That's incredible. So when he hired me, he said, one of the things we hope, um, you know, we'd like you to be a part of as well as doing some of the creative work for the the theme park studio is um, helping with the development of this project, this restoration, which of course I was thrilled and honored to do uh, because as we remind ourselves all the time, none of us would have the jobs we now have if it wasn't for Walt Disney. He created several industries, but very specifically the one we, you know, we work in. And uh, early on in the process, we had uh, kind of an, an advisory board. We got a group of uh, different kinds of Disney experts and, and a charrette, like, what do we want to do with this property? What's the vision, the long-term vision? And one of the uh, great people on that panel, uh, a woman named Pamela Dahl, who worked for Disney for many years and was sort of a cultural ambassador, 
And she had said that they had done a survey fairly recently with young people in the parks asking, do you know who Walt Disney was? And shockingly, a lot of them had no idea it was indeed a man. They thought it was a brand like Apple or Tide or whatever. Disney, it's just a name. So that really kind of gave us even more of uh, an impetus in, in fulfilling this vision because this is such an important part of the story, just to reiterate what you'd already said, that he's a, a real human being who had struggles and challenges, and yet he somehow managed to do all these incredible things he did. So, uh, yeah, long story short, that's kind of... <laughs> that's, that's so great. It's cool to hear that uh, you have experience in podcasting and you met through that. Brett's going to ask you the next question, and I'm going to ask him for a job uh, in the <laughs> relatively near future. I think that that might be a perfect way to go about this. But, but Brett, you had a question for them. Yes, well, I think I, it's probably for either of you, but maybe if we would start with Brent. Um, how can, can you tell us how you decided to save Walt Disney's birthplace? I mean, it must be an amazing story. And how did you know that his birth home was uh, even on the market or available? You know, it's, um, it, it, it's all, all these roads kind of tie together in such strange ways. We were working on an attraction in New York uh, at the time, or developing an attraction in New York, which unfortunately is, is still sitting in Times Square right now, ready to open after all these years. I mean, it's, it's been, oh, seven, eight years now that we developed it and built it. And it's, it's going to be a beautiful, like soaring through New York. It's a flying attraction. We do a lot of those. And they, there was a museum component to this. And they asked us to meet with Disney uh, when they had the treasures of the Walt Disney uh, studios that was on tour. And they were, they were thinking that they would occupy the space while we were designing and building this ride for New York that they would bring the treasures of the Walt Disney Studio out and and put it into their into their space but they didn't they didn't think it had enough of a of an organizing principle that felt felt like it met their mission which was education not only entertainment which at the time it was kind of if you've seen if you saw that there was a lot of just props and movie props and kind of organized in a more of like an attic like look at all the cool stuff we got you know the tron suit <laughs> um you know next to a mr toad vehicle it just was all just out there i had like one day to prepare for this and and it's typical in our industry you know so hey can you meet me over here and we're gonna go to the disney studio and then i need you to kind of pitch uh, a show so i'm i'm you know sitting and bed with my iPad trying to figure out how to put this thing together and um, I, I just the most simple way of doing this is just the chronological story of Walt which they've done at the Walt Disney Family Museum but they had all of this stuff and let's talk about the innovations of Walt Disney and how that impacted um, not only the entertainment industry but other industries because as Robert mentioned, Walt Disney was not only the father of the theme park industry, but so many other thing offshoots of our industry that have kind of bled into the rest of the world. But the process, this is the amazing thing that most people don't know because it's such an insider thing, but the processes he developed 
you know, what 1950s and you know early 60s, like the process they developed in in the course of of those years that Walt at the end of his life, those are the ones we still use to this day. I mean, it's it, it's pretty amazing. Long story short, we met with the Disney Studios. Um, I did my research that night and I, I woke up in the morning and I said to my wife, I said, do you know that, that Walt was born in Chicago? I mean, all these years, I had no, I had no idea. Um, and I had found the house on Zillow, of all things. It wasn't for sale, but in Zillow, this is how it all began. It, it, there was like a little field that said, would you like to talk to a realtor about this house? Are you interested in it? And so I just put my email in there as I don't know why I was compelled to do it. And uh, the next day I, I got an email back and, and, and asked the realtor and he, he said, you know, there's so many people that just kind of look at this and nobody's been serious. And, you know, are you serious about this? And so we spoke, I have another friend who's a real estate agent from the Chicago area who went out and took a look at it, said, you know, it's got, it's got pretty good bones, went in the basement, the wood's still there. You could see the floor, aluminum siding on the outside. That could be a good thing or a bad thing. We don't know, but you know, um, why don't we make an offer? And so we did. It was, um, you know, it's in a, it's in a, a difficult neighborhood. Um, it's, it's not, it's, it's a family neighborhood. It's, it's not a real popular spot. It's kind of not in a hip part of town and it's not in a terrible part of town, but it's a, you know, a transitioning neighborhood. And so um, we went out there and we, we saw the people in the neighborhood, the, met the people. It it, 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 what was amazing is no one knew it was Walt, uh, that Walt lived there. The people in the neighborhood didn't know. Um, there was a little thing, remember Robert out front, the kind of sketchy, like plush toys that were left. Little shrine somebody had built with the Disney, you know, Mickey toys and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was some, you know, kind of thing there, but it, but the kids didn't know. And we thought, wow. This would be this would be a, a really great thing for Chicago. It would really, you know, identify that this was the place that, that Walt was was from. And we, so you know, there's so much strange mythology around Walt Disney that you really have to do your research. And Robert did a lot of this, you know, work also with us. You have to do your research to find out what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, especially about where he came from. I mean, the, the crazy stories, right? He was adopted from Spain or like there are, yeah, I mean, just all kinds of different mythologies on, on Walt. And um, so we really needed to do our research because the only photo that we had was from the 20s. The address had changed, you know, um, but luckily the city historian had all the records the Chicago History Museum got on board. They um, uh, had a researcher that delivered us a big banker's box filled with documents and, you know, uh, just all kinds of wonderful um, uh, documentation on the house and uh, articles that had been written over the years. And so, yeah, it, it was it was there uh, and and. We just knew that this was this was the right thing to do, and it, it felt like we were 
giving back to, you know, uh, to the industry um, that really helped us be successful uh, for our lives. Absolutely. And it's, it's such a great story that you have. And Robert, I, I want to uh, allow you to um, expand upon that if you want, but I also wanted to ask you a question because you had mentioned this advisory board earlier. Can you speak to the team that was involved in putting this project together as well? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think Brent explained it perfectly well, kind of, the, you know, what was the revelation that led to purchasing the home? So again, soon after the property was purchased and we had our kind of kickoff event, on Walt's birthday in 2013, announced the, the, the restoration project. Um, we, again, we began to have these discussions about, well, what's the, I mean, we definitely want to preserve the home first and foremost and, and let people know this is where Walt Disney was born for the importance to the local community, to, you know, to everybody, who, you know, people who go to Greenfield Village or whatever it's called, where, you know, Henry Ford's birthplaces and Abraham Lincoln, like all these other famous Americans are celebrated with their birthplace and not Walt Disney. Like that's just unforgivable. But um, the, the mission of the restored building, what it could do, how it could, you know, what kind of positive message it can convey. And so we thought, let's pull together a bunch of Disney experts, get them in a room and start talking. So we had Pamela Dahl. We had Rick Rothschild, uh, excellent former Imagineer. His portfolio is, I'm sure, familiar to everybody. Wayne Pearson, who... Uh, took charge of the Thea Award Honored Cerritos Library, kind of redo that Super 78 was involved with. Um, so he was a big very good friend with Marty Scalar and uh, and Ray Bradbury, and you know who's connected to. So he was a Disney file, uh, complete Disney file, but also a longtime educator, um, and really created the very first experience library uh, here in Cerritos, which had you know, all kinds of interactives and was, was an opportunity. That's when we met uh, Wayne uh, back then. So it was, he, it was great to have him. And yeah. uh, well, and then we had our Chicago team, of course. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll get to the, to the, to the historical part of it, but, but what came out of that charrette was that education, especially for young children, supporting arts education could be a really important mission. I mean, the, you know, this national crisis of defunding arts education at every level is a problem. And so we thought this is a way we could either just inspire children to follow their artistic and creative passions, whether it's music or dance or whatever. And then it sort of became a little more codified into this idea of a nonprofit that could actually create educational programs that could potentially be distributed locally to the local school system, regionally and then nationally, maybe even internationally. And that led to the formation of the Center for Early Childhood Creativity and Innovations. And, uh, so that nonprofit is what kind of oversees the project these days. But then to Brent's uh, point, so we had this amazing team of people in Chicago. Tim Samuelson, who is a Chicago historian. Um, oh, what is the other? Tim? Charlie Pipel. Oh, Charlie Pipel, especially, who is the uh, lead preservation architect at, um, is it University? No. The Art Institute. Art Institute in Chicago, right. So he brought such an amazing wealth of not just historical information, but an understanding of how this kind of restoration process should be done. Uh, so he led the effort with some of his students. Once the aluminum siding was uh, off, they did a very careful analysis, kind of a forensic uh, investigation of different paint layers to look at what color paints were on the home during its various iterations. 
And then once we had sort of gotten down to the layer that was very likely to have been painted by Elias himself, to look through catalogs of Victorian paint schemes and colors, and, you know, what would be the most appropriate and authentic, um, you know, looking at the moldings inside the home, he was able to identify like that bullseye molding, that's original. And we can use that as a guide for recreating some of the woodwork, you know, the discovery of the original floors, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so he's been a hugely important part of, again, keeping it very true and authentic, not just the restoration process, but the target of what this home should look like when it's done. Sure. Tim Barton, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, another uh, architecturally, uh, um, and he's an expert in you know, Chicago history and that sort of thing. So we, Landmarks, we have- and of course, Ray Cologne. So you always need a politician on your team. Ray <laughs> Cologne was the uh, alderman. For the for the district, so we we enlisted him and Ray's still kind of our primary uh, contact in Chicago uh, for the project, and he came from the Parks District. Um, uh, you know, he worked uh, with kids at the Y, and um, he's just a, a awesome guy. And he's kind of like everybody knows Ray. He's <laughs> yeah, he's so, a great neighborhood ambassador, and he. He is, I mean, he's such a great speaker. So when we have people come to visit the home, I mean, obviously we're not open for tours yet, but he is an amazing tour guide. Like that guy knows so much about the home and so much about the neighborhood too. So he can really help bring together this kind of, you know, something from the past and what relevance it can have to the present. So terrific, terrific guy. Yeah, we're very blessed by the You know, just to kind of build off something that Robert was saying, you know, when we did the interior of the home and we, we found all of this, these kind of clues of, you know, what, what was the family life? Because really the idea here is to discover, you know, what was the environment that created Walt? Now, like if you read the biographies, that again, there's, there's a lot of different stories on that time period. So you kind of have to triangulate a lot of this information um, and the person who obviously knew the most would be Roy Disney, right? And so Roy um, did several interviews. And so if you read Roy's uh, account now, Roy and Walt had a very, you know, contentious relationship at times and you know, the, their whole family dynamic um, is, is an interesting study um, just to understand a, a lot about Walt and what drove Walt. And, um, but you can imagine that Walt was born in this home and, and Roy and his two older brothers and his younger sister. So there was a lot of people in this little 1200 square foot, you know, bungalow. Um, and they didn't have electricity. They didn't have central heating. And we all know being from Chicago, especially up North, it's cold. And you can, you can't imagine like, uh, living in, a, in that home at that time at the turn of the century um, and having, you know, gas installed and we can see the gas pipes that were run in and then we can see the electric cords that were pulled. We actually had a, a piece of an electric cord that was pulled through a gas pipe that was still in the gas pipe. So when they transitioned from electricity to gas or from gas to electricity, they pulled the the actual wires and that's why there were so many fires because it was the easiest way to get wire around the house but at the time there was not not even a like you know cover on the wire you know it's like exposed 
it's crazy, but you know, uh, something that we learned from just very few pieces of molding and existing uh, pieces of, of, you know, there was wallpaper that we found. If you remember, uh, there's like a pattern on the ceiling that almost looks like a tin roofing that once was there that still is, you know, you can still see. And, and the molding is really this kind of really over-designed for that house. And, and we all looked at this and said, gosh, could this be right? I mean, how, why was it like all this molding, all this molding everywhere and these bullseyes on every door? And, and then you think about Walt's father, he was a contractor and it was, it was Eddie Sato, who's another Imagineer who, you know, he's kind of great at just spinning yarn and, you know, he's like, well, I can imagine that, you know, Walt's father as a contractor, he might've had extra supplies and maybe he had extra molding and he had extra paint which explained how many different colors that house would paint <laughs> you can't imagine how many layers of paint um, at that first and we could see by like okay this was it was green red yellow pink you know all these colors and then it, for a long time it was one color then a long time another color but you know he was maybe building a show house and if you see on Main Street, with that iconic picture of Walt standing in front of the first window that honored his father, that Walt and Roy painted on Main Street that says contractor, Elias Disney contractor. That's how Walt and Roy remember their father. Not any of the businesses later, not anything later. It's That's how they remembered him as a contractor in that house. So that made an impression that certainly made an impression on their lives and maybe it was this impression that we could build anything we want we could do these things we can his father jumped from job to job and and there's 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 a story there that hasn't been told because you know the brothers have kind of a different story but when you triangulate again all these things and you see the house put together you're like oh this is it's kind of making sense now robert do you get that same sense like Walt was this collector of ideas throughout his whole life. And you would always see these things like he'd just pull out like this street is all these little, you know, Victorian bungalows. This kind of looks like Main Street or the bungalows that, you know, are on the, on the lot. Don't you think Robert's got like. 100%. Yeah. I mean, again, so, so much, unfortunately, there's not a lot of, you know, historical photos or archival interviews or whatever. So yeah, we are kind of solving these mysteries by kind of looking at the circumstantial evidence, but this kind of thing, I think that the, the thing about the main street window, like that's such a perfect example. Cause again, he was a postman, he was a farmer, he operated a hotel, he worked on the railroads, like so many different kinds of jobs, but the fact that he was brought, that the family moved to Chicago to build the World's Fair, you know, uh, Elias worked at the World's Fair, and his uncles are or brothers are there. And, um, you know, that uh, all these little seeds that got planted, you know, obviously, Walt was very young, and uh, the World's Fair had long been closed, but the Ferris wheel was there. You can imagine that Elias told him these stories. So it's like all the little clues in Walt's later life that you can find a connected tissue that takes you back to the experiences in the house. And that's, what's helping us get a sense of like, you know, what was that family life like? How did they all operate? What, what stories did they tell each other? 
you know, what words of wisdom did Elias and Flora give to their kids? You know, it's, 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 it's part of what's made this whole process so fascinating is it is really this detective work in a way. Oh, sir. He was a oh, real sir. guy that, you know, again, it's, it's getting further and further in the rear view mirror for, for a lot of young people. They didn't see, you know, the wonderful world of Disney. And I got to tell you, when I was watching the wonderful world of Disney on TV or, you know, the, one of the, those shows, was it wonderful world of Disney? It was the color version, right? Yeah. And, and it's also wonderful world of color. Wonderful yeah. world of color. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I, I was a, like a really young boy. But I had no idea that Walt Disney was even dead at the time. I thought he was a, a, a live person and he was talking to me, just like so many people did before that. And so there was a connection that I had to Walt Disney that, you know, all the, the people that connected to him in the living room, you know, for, for a decade uh, had that the kids just don't have uh, today. Um, so yeah, there. I don't know where I was going with that, but that. <laughs> well, you've sold us on this. Uh, I this the hopeful trip that we'll be making to Walt's home to see it, and I love the details that you've described in the renovations. It it does good for my HGTV loving heart. But um, wanted to ask you. You know, I know with renovation projects, sometimes it can take longer than expected. And and what more do you have to do? And and when uh, do you think you might have it? completed well this is a, uh, a the first thing that i learned uh from our architect is this isn't a restoration this is a preservation which is th those are two very different things we didn't know that at the time but a preservation is when you're trying to maintain as much of the original fabric of the home as possible and lock everything into one specific time period that the home was was part of and then all of your choices need to be kind of around that right so as much as we could the reason why it it took so long to just get it to the point where it is now which is like we can live in it you could live in it it's done as far as a preservation goes it, it took that long because there there's just much more effort that needs to go into, you can imagine, um, a plaster wall, right? A wall that's made out of plaster instead of drywall and, um, you know, paint. And the plaster at the time had horsehair in it as a binder. And to be able to get that kind of quality on the wall, you have to have an artisan that knows how to do plaster walls that are exactly match the preserved plaster wall. Um, in some instances, there was discussions about, do we even try to match it or do we show the difference between like, this is, you know, the original wall and not just so you can see the delineation between. So we weren't trying to manufacture the but it was hard to live with these stained, you know, old <laughs> piece that falling off and, and the nice, you know, the well-preserved um, uh, wall. So, you know, we made the, the choice to, you know, uh, repair 
some of the the defects in the home and and um so that that was a really costly and and long uh, process much longer than anything we had done in the past but as i said it's it's ready uh to to bring in the exhibits that we want to put in there that is really the last part of this and the last mile is the hardest mile right this is the 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 issue that we've always run into in in our careers as theme park designers people come to us with a budget and a and an idea and they say here you go here's a pot of money and build us this right and then that's what we do we we're not in the business of raising money <laughs> that's a full-time job and luckily the disney studios stepped up very early on in the project wanted to make sure that the house was preserved the right way and uh, provided us with a really generous donation, along with the family members that also came along with some very generous donations to be able to get us to the house that we're, we're at. And, and individual donors, I mean, Robert, you know, we have hundreds, right, of individual, if not thousands of individuals. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, prior to the Disney grants and some other uh, some big dollar donations, most of the project work was funded through um, crowdfunding, Kickstarter, Indiegogo. I see you raise your hand. Thank you so much for your contribution. Early on. Yeah, uh, I have my I have my cap. I was looking for it today, but oh, nice. So nice. you were so kind with, you know, with your gifts. I'm like going, you know, keep all the money. It's, it goes <laughs> to a good cause. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, just to amplify what Brent said, the challenge of fundraising is is what is going to dictate how quickly we can finish up, you know, and actually open it to the public. Um, I mean, we have some really beautiful, amazing ideas because um, not, not to cut you off, Brent, but, you know, we know when you put Disney on an attraction or an experience, there's a level of expectation of what that experience is going to be. So we don't want to under deliver on that. And of course, being in the business we're in, we just want to do really cool, awesome stuff that will make it feel like you're in the home when the Disney family was living there. And Don't cool, awesome stuff is usually life. really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a small house and people, you know, it's like, well, how many people are you planning to get through that, you know, yeah. house? And, you know, it, it becomes a capacity issue. It's very small, you know, um, but again, I think, I think, the idea there is is solid. We know the house is protected and preserved and it's not going anywhere and it's going to be there. And we just want to do it right. And, um, you know, we're, we're always looking for uh, financial support to, to help us get us over the line. But in the meantime, we do a lot of, you know, private tours. We've done uh, Disney uh, events yeah. with, um, with the Disney um uh, studios, they they of course um, have been great to work with, and I, I don't know. We've had like how many Disney events there? At least three major ones. Yeah, D twenty three has been by at least three times, and gosh, now I'm kind of blank. Of course, with the pandemic, you know, we were planning all these in person events. <laughs> right. Kind of went away, unfortunately. But yeah, D twenty three has been a great part. And we've done virtual yeah. events, which were really successful. And we had uh, on our last one, Tony Baxter was on uh, yeah. answering questions and and um, doing the VIP experience. And and of course, um, Eddie Sato did some great. He does a great Walt Disney impression. Yeah, 
his Walt imitation is scarily good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were talking about D23, and actually that kind of goes into a question that I have. I mean, in the Midwest, the, well, the Midwest is rich with Walt Disney family history, being born in Chicago and then moving to Marceline, Missouri. So I'm sure that the Illinois, Missouri, Walt Disney pilgrimage tour would be a must-see for tried and true hardcore died in the world Disney fans, obviously. But wouldn't it be the ultimate D23 event? I mean, Walt Disney World birthplace in Chicago and then Walt Disney Hometown Museum in Marceline, and maybe a stop in within Walt's favorite president's home here in uh in Springfield. I mean, can we wish upon a star for that dream to come true? And do you have a timeline? <laughs> you know there 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 are groups that already do that uh the walking in waltz footsteps which is um who who's the um there's a the we've got two actually i think groups that that do that um there's one from western michigan or western illinois i forgot it's one of those two but he there's a program that he does that does a walking in waltz footsteps and and then um there's there's another group that comes through yearly and does the Walt Disney pilgrimage, which the odd story there is that the Disney studios right over here, um, right around the corner from us where they uh, did the animation for Snow White is now a grocery store, right? A big, you know, Gelson's fancy grocery store over here. And they've got one little picture on the wall of like, this used to be the Hyperion Studios, right? Wow. You're like, this is so sad. I yeah. mean, you turned it, you, nobody knows, right? There's a little bent up sign outside yeah. that says, you know, historical landmark or something. And um, and so uh, uh, Dina was at the, the, you know, checking out at the grocery store, at our local grocery store, which was where they made Snow White, Mickey Mouse. And, um, and this the guy who runs the group was there. And looking at, staring at the picture, right? And he was at the end of his tour. Like, this is... Oh, wow. And they just happened to run into each other. And at the, I mean, that's just the serendipity of this oh, kind sure. of craziness, right? Like Absolutely. How, so, uh, I mean, in we could walk to the, where the Hyperion Studios are from where we are now in two minutes. It's right around the corner. And then Walt and Roy's homes are right behind the Walt Disney Studios and in Walt's garage. That's where Boob I, I Works did the very first Mickey Mouse in the garage with Walt. And they performed, you know, showing their wives in the driveway on a screen. And we could go, you know, walk there. It's just bizarre to think about, you know. Wow. It's right That's down cool. the street. Yeah, and, cool. and just to add to that, you know, the, the Griffith Park carousel where he famously sat watching his daughters ride the carousel thinking, why can't we do this something together as a family? Like that's five minutes away. Um, the little Kingswell studio, the first studio, the brother with, sorry, the Disney Brothers studio where they made the Alice comedies, mm-hmm. um, a little copy shop that's 10 minutes away. I mean, it really, this epicenter. And of course our favorite second office is the Edendale, a little tavern down the road and which is a beautiful former old fire station that served Hyperion. So it's got all this amazing, you know, vintage. So every time Walt dropped thing. a cigarette when he, you know, fell asleep at the office, lit the place on. Yeah, that place to call. <laughs> Perfect. But wow. 
and Preston Ealings, and they have photos of the old studio, the Hyperion building, and you know all that stuff in there. So it just it just like we're in the nexus of like Disney history goodness. That's so <laughs> oh, great, my especially for us. Uh, that you're you're making us geek out here. And you know, I, yes. I want to ask a question back about the the home. Roy lived in this house until he's twelve. Walt lives in this house until he's four. You mentioned Robert that there had been, I believe it actually might have been Brent, that there's been interest and there's been donations from the family members. Um, but I'm wondering if any of the family have had an opportunity to go through the house yet or if they've given you their reactions to the renovation and and sort of their overall response to the project. Yeah, yeah, we've had um, the grandkids there. And um, if you know, again, about the, the family, there's kind of a, a bit of a, you know, a rift between Roy's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kids and Walt's kids. But this has really been something that all of the grandkids kind of come around. And when they see it, there's there's just so much emotion there that it's it's hard to describe. Um, and, and they're the ones individually, you know, from both sides of the family that both support it because we do celebrate with both Roy and Walt. Um, I have right up here, um, a street sign, the Disney family. Let me see if I can grab it down because I'll show it to you, but go ahead, Robert. Pick yeah, yeah, I was just, just going to add about the getting the sign. So that's another one of the kind of the the, the uh, mission statements for the home that we are not. I mean, yes, it's called the Walt Disney Birthplace, but we really are celebrating both Walt and Roy to remind people that you know without Roy, everything Walt wanted to do would never have happened, and vice versa. Like that relationship, that dynamic between the two of them, that was formed in this home. Like they slept together in the same room, and Roy basically helped raise little baby Walt because, you know, Flora and Elias, they got this other rest of the family to take care of. So anyway, making sure that relationship and that dynamic is, is, is public, you know, made aware. People know, like without the two of them working together, none of this happened. Just put a fine point on that. Uh, Joanna uh, Disney uh, Miller, um, she unveiled this uh, street sign for us. Oh, right. Yeah. The, uh, oh, that's the longest great. honorary street in Chicago. And we, you know, wanted to honor the Disney family, not mm-hmm. just Walt. And so mm-hmm. she, as a, as a Disney, was the one who unveiled this uh, honorary street for us in Chicago. So we were really happy about that. But it, it really, it really does celebrate you know, the, the whole family, because it wasn't, it wasn't about Walt. And we know there would be no Walt if it wasn't for Roy. There was, there was, there was just no way Walt, Walt, Walt might've been a director of some note, <laughs> maybe, right? Maybe an animation director working somewhere of some note, but without Roy to, to really um, be the engine of the financial engine. And also he was very creative. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of Roy Disney's um, family films that he made. He was super prolific, and actually, his family films are really, really well done. Um, oh, wow! Super interesting too. 
Uh, well, cool. and after after Walt's passing, uh, us being parks fans and the two of you being in the theme park space, Walt Disney World doesn't get built without Roy. So it's just uh, right. we we owe so much to him because, like you said, the financial aspect. Walt probably would have went uh, and and did in certain instances spend uh, more money, much more money than he had. But he would have even went further uh, had he not had Roy there to handle the financials for him for sure. Um, and, that, and that's such an important part of that dichotomy and that family relationship. But Vanessa, I know you had a, a question as well. Yes. Well, I, I think this is just a beautiful way to honor uh, Walt and Roy and what they did. But I think another beautiful way is, is what Robert, what you mentioned earlier, which is uh, providing some childhood development. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more of how you hope to inspire future Waltz and Roy's. Well, that's something we're actually still formulating. Obviously, we're, our expertise is much more in the themed entertainment part of it, um, you know, working with educators and that sort of thing to develop programs that we can potentially use down the road. You know, that's going to be that's going to be kind of a, one of the later things. We hope to get the home open first. Um, but uh, but, yeah, that's very much we did invite a couple of uh, educators into our charrette that we had earlier on, too, as well. So that's something we will develop over time. Um but uh, it's, you know, we've, we've got just so many big ideas. Sure. <laughs> the money oh, day. yeah. And this is a very honorable way to, yeah. to remember them. And, and just throwing this out there, since you both um, dabble in the theater, uh, the theme park design, you know, if you ever do decide to pitch an idea for a Midwest Disney park, I mean, we, we would love being so close and we would support you fully. So <laughs> just planting the seed in case you ever want to uh, help it grow, you know? Yeah. I mean, it might not be a Disney park, but we are, um, and this, this is a good, Great segue, Vanessa, because um, we're we're actually working on uh, a theme park right now that's going into Glendale, Arizona, which is going to be the very first Mattel uh, theme park. Oh wow! Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and, oh, wow. and unfortunately, but good good for us, we have a uh, we have a, a meeting right now, a design meeting for that that park that we're working on. And it's just great that, you know, post kind of pandemic that people are really, you know, still um, looking to, you know, build new attractions. And we haven't really seen a lot of new things in in the U.S. So uh, we've been working a lot overseas. And so we're very excited about opportunities to work here um, domestically and and bring our talents there. So who knows, there might be a you know, a, a Mattel park in the neighborhood sometime. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, starting to wrap up here. And thank you for your time. It's been wonderful getting to chat with you today. And I can't wait to visit the home once it's open to the public. Um, but you've mentioned your supporters, and I'm sure that you have supporters from all across the world. So uh, first, I want to make sure that you are able to tell our listeners how to support this home and how to support this restoration project and your ongoing efforts. Uh, so please do that. But then also, do you have any stories, any fun stories of the supporters that you've had so far from uh, anywhere in the world, really, I'm sure that you've uh, run in contact with, or maybe in some of those events that you've had hosted through D23 or otherwise. Uh, so two-part question, and I'll let both of you take it if you'd like, but one, how do we support you? And then two, tell us some stories about the supporters that you've had uh, so far. 
Well, uh, if you don't mind, friend, I'll just jump in real quick. So uh, we are still selling uh, dedicated paper stones that are lining the walkway up to the home and the the, uh, parkway outside the home. Uh, Those are still available. We have um, uh, some other items to uh, get your name on the home fence slat uh, plaques. Uh, Friends of the Birthplace plaques that will go inside the home. But if you go to thewaltdisneybirthplace.org and include the article, the, T-H-E, waltdisneybirthplace.org, and go to the Donate Today, uh, there's a place that describes some of the ways you can support the the project. And we have our newsletter, monthly newsletter. Um, And to subscribe to that, I believe on the website, if you go to the newsletter, there's a side column. You can click there to sign up and keep up to date with information about the restoration and future events. Um, and I will say one of our biggest supporters, sorry, um, a woman named Diana Waller, she was incredibly huge Disney fan, just getting a little choked up, uh, <clears throat> very, very big supporter and, uh, donated a lot of money and passed away unexpectedly, um, a couple of years back, but we honored her with a mini a free library that's outside the home. And we got somebody to build like a little miniature version of the house uh, in her honor. And that has been a huge hit. The neighborhood has really embraced it. They're putting in books and VCR or video cassette tapes, all kinds of stuff. But uh, she was, we miss her. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was wonderful. She was one of our, our first supporters at our first event really gave us a lot of guidance and just it was a bundle of energy. And, um, you know, one of the fun stories that I remember Robert, and I think, I think she was there actually for those days. She was at almost every event, even in Chicago. She would travel anywhere uh, uh, where we had the wall open in Walt's room. And we had, you know, I think 50 people uh, come in and sign the one of the two by fours that we had put up inside the beam in the wall because uh, they donated to the thing. And they were just, you know, again, everybody was so emotional about that. And that was in Walt's room. So it's pretty amazing. That's amazing. Well, we are so grateful for your time today. And we can't wait to continue to follow along with updates uh, and when this is open to the public. I can't wait to go in and maybe uh, record a a show or a snippet live from there. It would be just wonderful. Let us know when. We'd love to have you there and do it. Oh, cool. We'll, We'll have, you know, Ray would love to kind of, I'm sure, go over and take you through a little private tour and then do, do a podcast with you. That's, oh, that'd be that's awesome. wonderful. Yeah. We would love that opportunity. So, so again, thank you for your time today. And uh, again, thank you for what you're doing to preserve not only Waltz, but also Roy and the rest of the family's legacy. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was such an excellent uh, conversation that we were able to have with Brent and Robert. We're so excited to feel their energy and um, their effort and their work that has gone into this home uh, in the Chicago area. Can't wait to visit it. Definitely are going to take them up on that offer to record a podcast from there at some point. Uh, Just excited about all the stories that they were able to share. Vanessa, your thoughts on the interview we just had. Oh, I cannot wait to see this home in its glory. And I so appreciate what they're doing, not only preserving these small details in the home and learning from the renovations when they were talking about, you know, the different layers of paint. I think we, we've all done that in our home renovations when you pull back wallpaper and go, huh, 
okay. And you learn about the people that lived there before and learning about Roy's and Walt's parents and, and how they built this home and how they added their touch to it as the years went by. And, um, and then the people who had it after them, of course. And it's just really interesting to hear what they've discovered and what they've learned about the family. And I so appreciate what they're doing. Anytime someone makes the effort to better a community. And although this may not be the community they live in, it's our Disney family community that we're all a part of. And they're really taking the time to better. They don't have to do this, but they're doing it because they care. And I I think we can certainly appreciate that. Brett, again, I mentioned at the beginning, but you were sort of our connection to this uh, organization. So your thoughts of getting to talk to Brent and to Robert today? Oh my gosh, the work that they have put into this and continue to. And, and it's so exciting that they've, that they've gone to the preservation level and now they're getting ready just on the cusp of being able to show this to Disney fans and to Chicago and for people around the world. So exciting. I mean, I've been, I, I, you know, I read their, their newsletter. I've been watching the paint chips as they go, here we are. And here we are. I've watched their virtual tours. So cool. So, I mean, we're, we're getting closer. I can't wait. Yeah, we definitely should direct people to their website. And again, that website is the WaltDisneyBirthplace.org. And I'll say that you can also donate there. And I'm looking, you know, they mentioned the bricks that are going to be lining the way. Uh, and I think that we can fit Beyond the Mouse podcast on one of those bricks. So we might have to talk about that a little bit offline. Oh, yeah. And we can immortalize ourselves right there in the Chicago area. That would be, that'd be a wonderful so opportunity cool. for sure. But thank you so much to them and to their organization for bringing this preservation to life for us here in the Midwest. We can't thank them enough for their time today and can't wait to go up there into the Chicago area and be able to see this building and this home that means so much to all of us that love Walt, love Roy, and love the entire Disney family. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you so much for listening to us. You can find us on any podcast feed that you'd like just by searching Beyond the Mouse. We are also part of NPR Illinois, so you can find us on nprillinois.org. Follow along with us on social media. We have plenty of ways to do that. On Instagram, we are Beyond the Mouse Pod. On Twitter, we are Beyond Mouse. And then on Facebook, we have two different ways to follow along. We have the Beyond the Mouse Podcast Facebook page, but also our Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals group. And that's where I really would suggest you join in on the conversation because we like to engage with everyone there and just talk to them about what's going on in the parks and just be able to talk to our listeners. We absolutely love being able to interact in that way. So please follow along with us there. We are also part of the Front Row Network. You can find all their shows on any podcast app that you'd like and also follow along with them by just searching the Front Row Network on just about every social media platform you can think of. It's been such a great day. I'm excited for this uh, opportunity to speak to them. I'm excited for this preservation that's going on right in our neck of the woods and cannot wait to visit. I can't uh, say that enough. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Brett. And we will see you real soon in the front row of Walt Disney's birthplace, right? Yeah, let's pack up the so car exciting. and go, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm yes. ready. I'm ready yeah. for those trips. Get, get It'll be for sure. Sure. Donuts. <laughs>